Fetus. Come on, let's give it up for Fetus Tinny this morning. Thank you so much. Love you. Well, good morning. And it is wonderful to be back with you. And I mean that. You may be seated. Pastor, thank you for that prayer. Nobody prays like your pastor. And you're blessed to be under his influence. I guess you're bishop now. This is pastor over here. But this pastor is going to be everything you've been and more. Hate to tell you that. But that's your goal. And I thank God. Thank, uh, thank uh, both of you for the invitation to be here, and uh, it's a joy. I feel a little out of place today. Uh, you've had some awesome testimonies the last two weeks, I hear, and mine may be pretty boring when it comes to all of, all of those kind of things. But you know, it's just as important to be kept as it is to be found. And the Lord has been very good to me and kept me through many years. Uh, this, this may be my swan song here. I'm 88 years old now. Where's the girl? Raise your hand. I need to see you. Where? Oh, okay, you're born. Stand up. Let me see you. That's encouraging to me. But this, this could well be my last year to be doing much travel. And I am so delighted that I got an invitation to come back to this church. This church is a special church. Your pastors are special people. You are special people. You're a miracle sitting out here in the middle of nowhere, the biggest thing around. And it's Jesus' name all the way. Thank God for it. Faithful people, faithful people, and God will remember your faithfulness. And my, my story, I started to tell you, I'm 88 years old. I was born into a Pentecostal family. I give God praise and thanksgiving for that because knowing me like I know me ain't no telling where I'd have been if I'd have been born somewhere else. But oh, God was good to me, and I thank God for it. And my story is... Uh, Pretty traditional, but I, I have seen the hand of God all the way through it. And I want to open it with a scripture out of the book of Acts. Paul speaking, chapter 26, verse 22. Having therefore obtained help of God, I continue. That's enough for me. I continue unto this day, witnessing both to small and great. And that's my story. I continue today doing what God has commissioned me to do and with his blessings. So I'm, I'm not really sure how I'm supposed to start this. And I know you've had two recent testimonies that have been very exciting. And I told you mine may be a little boring. But it's just as important to be kept from the world as it is to be rescued from the world. And God was good to me. And he has kept me through these many years. My story starts with a young couple in just near the Hill County part of Texas. They were young. My mother was very young. My father, when they married, 
My father came from a family that had no church connection, hardly at all. He had one uncle and a grandfather and a grandmother that were relatively interested in God. And thank God they had a tremendous effect on him. Of my entire father's family, he was the only one that ever really came to know God in a fullness of understanding the fullness of the infilling of the Holy Spirit. How blessed I was. You know, God sees little things in your heart and God gives chances to people to take advantage of it. He was the oldest of his family and his uncle and his grandparents spent a lot of time with him. And when I tell you the difference between my father and his family was drastic. Parents and grandparents, you have no idea the influence that you can have on a child. He was the only one, and they put something in him that made him a candidate to seek after the Lord. My mother was raised with a, a, a God-fearing mother. They just had a little community church. But what I remember most about my grandmother from my youngest memories is watching her hang clothes on the line by the way, we used to do that. Thank God we don't do that anymore. <laughs> and the rain come and you run to get them off the line. Yeah. The birds come over and you've got to wash them all over. Yeah, I've been there. But I remember my little grandmother hanging clothes on the line singing Blessed Assurance. It's a vivid memory to me. And I can remember the feeling I got. So you see, and I'm saying that particularly for grandparents. You have no idea the influence that you have on a child just by the least little thing. I could take you to the place and show you where she was standing and I can't describe how I felt, but something about that little song about blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. That was the first seed I remember taking place in my heart and it has been there ever since. So my mom and dad married, they had three children and dad moved, had to move for work, moved to, to uh, Port Arthur, Texas to work in the refinery. They didn't go to church, they had three children, no church at all, had no background to go to church. But my mom started noticing a little woman passing her house every day, same time. Just before nine o'clock every morning, this little woman walked by her little apartment. And then she noticed she had something under her arm. And mother said there was just something strange about it. She said, I got where I watched for her every day and wondered daily, where's she going and what does she have under her arm? And as God would have it, not perchance, one day, that little woman stopped and knocked on the door of my mother's apartment, handed her a small little invitation to a tent revival. She said she put that on the dresser that day and every time she passed it, there was something that touched her heart. When dad came in that afternoon, the kids were bathed and dressed and supper was on the table. He knew something was up. He said, where are we going? She said, we're going to a tent revival. They weren't even churchgoers at all. They went to the service that night, heard the pastor preach. The children were asleep at the end of the, the, the message. My dad turned to my mom and said, if you want to go pray, I'll stay with the children. 
My mother made her way to the altar that evening and God filled her with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. First time ever in a Pentecostal church, the first time ever in a long time in any kind of a church. What a miracle, what a miracle. They saw the lady that mother had been watching and the lady that gave her the invitation and they asked her, said, where, are, where do you go every morning? She said, well, I go to prayer meeting. We have prayer meeting at nine o'clock. They'd never heard of such. They said, well, is it open? Can we come to it? The pastor was standing nearby. He said, well, tomorrow's Saturday and we don't normally have prayer meeting on Saturday. But if you want to come, we'll have nine o'clock prayer meeting. They were back with their three children, both of them baptized in the name of Jesus. My daddy broke the water, speaking in tongues. Never went to the altar, was baptized, and came out of the water speaking in tongues. That was a long time ago. In a very short time, you know, you know, it's amazing to me how God takes care of details. They didn't own a car. Very few people owned cars back in those days. They were, he was just working at the refinery, living in Port Arthur, away from their family. My mother had an uncle die, and her, in his will, he left her $300. And they bought a car. Can you believe? They bought a car for $300. God had arranged for them to have the money. And shortly thereafter, they started preaching. Not too long after that, there was an old sister in the church that had a girl, a daughter. And they asked her, would she go with them? Because there were very few churches in those days. We're talking about 1933. I'm an antique and I'm valuable. Things were very different in 1933. And they, the lady was good friends with my mother and dad and, and dad felt the call to preach and my mother felt the call to preach. And there were no churches and there were no saints in churches to help pray with people when they came to the altar, if they came to the altar. It was a, such a different day. So my mom and dad loaded this dear lady and her daughter up their three children and the two of them in the car with all of their little belongings and started out to preach the gospel. They ended up in a little sawmill town. Now, a sawmill town is where they had a lot of trees growing and there were a lot of tree cutting and planing it down and for building and that's what it And a little, little community would, would come up around those areas. And it was in a place called Bonweir, Texas. If you find it on a map, it'll only be a speck. Just across the Sabine River from Louisiana. They started a revival. My dad built a brush arbor. Does anybody here know what a brush arbor is? You know, this is ancient history. You're in a history class, ancient history class. There was no church. If you were going to have a revival, you had to provide a place to have a revival. So dad built a, a brush arbor. Now what they did with a brush arbor is they had they put posts around like in a little rectangular shape. And then they 
most of the times had some kind of wire they stretched across. They covered it with limbs to give shade. And this was the church. Dad cut the planks out of the trees, made benches, nothing but just a slat bench. And he finished it and announced to the community they were starting a revival. This was 1934. Spring of that year, my mother was pregnant with me. My mother was an evangelist. My dad was a builder and a pastor. But my mother was a wonderful preacher and she could hold a crowd in her hand. And they started a revival. My mother preached seven nights a week, five months straight without a rest night. She had three children to take care of during the day. My dad had one pair of pants he could wear to church. This was depression times. She washed those pants and ironed them every day. And in those days, a pregnant woman did not get out in public a lot, but she was so sick every day, she didn't gain much weight. And she preached for five months, seven nights a week while she was pregnant with me. Now, my husband said that I should have been born with the Holy Ghost like John the Baptist. <laughs> I'm afraid I had to get it later. But, but at the end of that seven weeks, seven months, five months revival, they had 98 people filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. My dad cut little planks, little boards to look like a plank, sold them for 25 cents a piece, and raised enough money to build the first church. And if I had thought about it, I would have brought, I have a picture of me just as a toddler sitting on the front steps of that little church and my mother standing by me with the Bible in her hand. There is still a strong church in Bonware, Texas. So that's kind of my beginning. That's kind of where I came from. And from there, they moved to Central Texas. My dad and mom pastored several churches. Dad built churches. He went into communities, would put up brush arbors, and they would have revivals all over that part of Central Texas. And then God was good to us, and we moved to Louisiana. I just had to put that in. West Monroe, Louisiana, and Dad pastored there for a while, and there was a larger city just across the river that it, didn't have, it had no church, and he wanted a church there so badly. He'd bring preachers in, and he would offer to help them build a church, but nobody seemed to be interested. And then when he wanted to go start the church himself, the West Monroe Church at that point, those were olden days, and we didn't have the vision that we have now, thank God, that we have better vision now. But they didn't want him to have another church. They didn't want him to divide his time between them. So he said, I know what I'll do. I can get a pastor to this church in West Monroe because it's a fully supporting church. He turned that church over to another pastor, moved across the river, started back to work as a carpenter, building houses, bought an old house, remodeled it, moved us into it, and we started a church in Monroe. That's the story of my life. My dad was a pioneer. From there, several years later, he went to Anchorage, Alaska, 
started the church there. It's a thriving church. Monroe is a thriving church. Bonware, West Monroe, I could name many. That, that, that's, that's my history, and I thank God for it. Amen. It's been a wonderful, wonderful trip. One thing I wanted to mention to you is things were so different in those early days. My, my, my two sisters, I had two sisters older and later had a younger sister. But Pentecostalism was not heard of. Nobody had heard of it. It was something brand new in the country. And the old Holy Ghost in filling was just unheard of. It was fresh. It was new. And they called them themselves a lot of time apostolics. Well, in those early, day, early days, everybody didn't love us like they love you here. And my two sisters going to school, they were called, and I'm doing this because it's funny to me, and we just laugh about it now. They knew they called themselves apostolics, so they just cut it a little short and said possums with the colic. <laughs> so, you know, we've always had our ups and downs, and things go different in different places and for different things. But God has blessed my family. My sister built four churches, started four churches from the ground up. My next sister became a, a children's evangelist, was wonderful in teaching children and teaching people how to teach children. And then the Lord led me to meet a man by the name of Tom Fred Tenney. And I need to tell you a little bit of his story. He was born in a Catholic home his father was Catholic and was an alcoholic. He said he never remembers when he was growing up, his dad coming home, that he was not drunk. He was not a mean man, though. He was good to his family, a good family man. But just every evening when he came home, he was drunk. His mother was a Baptist Sunday school teacher. She had not been able to have a son that she wanted so badly. And driving through town one day, she promised God, she said, if you'll give me a son, I will give him back to you. And she did. From her Baptist roots and her father, his father's Catholic roots, he became a Pentecostal preacher. And most of you know him as his ministry stretched around the world, really. Yes. And it was, he, was, he was converted in a very strange way. There was a, a Catholic, uh, there had been a Catholic nun that was giving her testimony and the, a woman preacher that was with her and they were having a revival in the little town of DeRitter. He heard about it and of course having connections to the Catholic church, he was interested because he said he heard they were telling things on the priest. So he wanted to go hear what was going on. 15 years old, he walked in the back of that church and God gripped his heart. And within weeks, God had brought him to an altar and filled him with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Just totally fresh out of the world. God finds hungry hearts. And many of you know his ministry and what all God led him to be involved in. But what you don't know, and I think these things are so important, is he was so thrilled to have the experience he had with God that he made a vow he said, I will pray at the church every day for an hour. He was 16 at this time. And I will read, not just read, I will study three chapters of the Bible every night before I close my eyes. And I will pray for every missionary. He had seen a missionary map. He kept that on for years and years and years. 
and God honored it. Now I'm pausing for a purpose. I think sometimes we just take it all a little too lightly where God has brought us from. And if you like me, he didn't bring me from so far, but he has kept me from a whole lot. And I am so grateful for it. But we really need to, we need to give more thought to that. If you're going to succeed in this world, you're going to apply yourself to something. You're going to put effort into it. What about the kingdom? What are you aiming? There's going to be, you know, I've been studying the rewards lately. You can't do enough to get to heaven. You do not get to heaven on what you do. But once you get to heaven, rewards are going to be varied. I want a good one. I want a good one. I want to serve well. But you, you're not going to, my husband used to say this so many times, he will never say well done unless you do well. He doesn't lie. And if you're going to hear well done, you're going to have to do well. Well, Tom kept that up. Little did we know that he would become foreign missions secretary, not secretary, foreign missions director at a very early age of age 35. He was elected to be foreign missions director and I think that goes all the way back to his consecration to pray for every missionary by name every single day. God notices little things. God noticed little things about David. When, David need, when God needed somebody to take care of his people, he saw, the scripture says this, he saw David following after the old mother sheep to take care of her when she gave birth to the lambs. And he looked at that and said, anybody that would do that for their sheep will take good care of my people. God watches you, what you do. And if you need him, give him your best. You will never outgive what he can do for you. Well, I don't know if this is really what y'all expected or not, but. And you know, I am amazed, I really am, how God watches our life and how he directs us. And God, my husband also used to say, if he could give God a gift, he'd give him a watch or a calendar because he can't tell time. God does not live in time. Time means nothing to God. He lives in eternity. And things that we think need to happen now, they will happen in their own good time. But God takes care of those things. And it was the beginning of the early 50s. I was in my teenage years. Um, by the way, let me go back and say, I've had the Holy Ghost for 80 years. And the night of receiving the Holy Ghost, the experience of receiving it, is as vivid in my mind now as the night it happened. I, can I could take you to the place. Everybody had quit praying. I was just a little eight-year-old girl at the altar, and everybody else was going on about their business. But my aunt was still there with me, and I was tired. It was a Sunday night, and I had played that day, and I was tired. I just leaned back in her lap, and there very quietly, the Holy Ghost fell on me, and I began speaking fluently in tongues. And that's vivid to me now. Yes. 
But what I also remember is after that service, I went outside, it was in a little country place. I walked down a little trail that was hard surface from so many people walking on the clay. And the moon was so big and so bright. And I looked up and I cannot, I never can mention it without feeling. There was something happened. I looked at that moon and felt the presence of God literally envelop me. An eight-year-old girl standing on a hard-packed trail that had been used so many times, understanding very little about what had happened, but knowing that I had received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Please note your children. Encourage them. Talk to them about spiritual things. Explain things to them. Share your experiences with them. I don't want us to raise a group of children around church and them know some of the things but not know your personal experience. Your personal experience is what will mean more to them than anything else. And a child can easily be feeling or feel the presence of God. And when they do, encourage it and encourage them to talk about it. Let me tell you something else about children. Children see angels a lot easier than you and I do. Don't let it just slip by. Talk to them majorly about their spiritual experiences. Well, let me get back to my story. Uh, moments and decisions that you make in moments can be, be earth-shaking. It was 51, 52, I was doing vacation Bible schools. I was just a teenager. Brother Glass invited me down to do a vacation Bible school at his church. And my future husband was preaching a revival nearby. And it just so happened that he dropped by the church every day at noon when I got off, finished with vacation Bible school. We started having lunch together and... It matured. Of course, we've been married. We were married 65 years before he died five years ago. But uh, there's a story I, that I have to tell you that because it's just it's it's such a major part of my life. The decisions of a moment and what they can mean. I had I was a teenager. I was dating a young guy that was going to my dad's church, and he was you know a fine kid and. Uh, he was really cute and had curly hair and big blue eyes and uh, he was very personable. And then I went to DeRitter to do that vacation Bible school and there was Tom Fred Tenney. And uh, I kind of got torn between the two. Yeah. Well, uh, camp meeting was coming up and the guy at, in the church, my dad's church said, I want to come down to camp meeting, but I can't come except the 4th of July because I'm working and I don't know anybody, so I want to be sure you'll be, be with me when I come. I said, well, sure, come on. Well, I went to camp meeting early and you know how kids go out to eat. Well, it just so happened that Tom had gotten a new car for his graduation and he invited me to go along. And so every night we went out with all the kids to eat. Went to Fuzzy's, that was the restaurant. <laughs> the night of July the 3rd, 
we were going back to, he was taking me back to my room. And I said to him, smart mouth, uh, I won't be, I can't be with you tomorrow. I have a date. And if you know, if you knew him, Jeremy, you knew him well enough to know. He didn't say a thing, didn't say a word. It was kind of an uneasy feeling. And uh, so then when we got to the room, he said, I started to get out of the car. He said, well, I've enjoyed being with you, but I won't see you anymore. I said, what? Why? What, what happened? He said, if you think you're going to be seen with me every night, every day, for the first part of this week, and then you're going to show up with somebody else tomorrow, this is it. Well, my humility took over, and I said, you don't own me. <laughs> it's funny, but there's a reason why I'm telling you this. We discussed it a little bit, only he didn't do much discussing. But before I got out of the car, I had told him I would break the date. And the reason I'm telling you that is I know him well enough to know that he would not have ever seen me again. Decisions are important. You better be living close enough to God and dedicated in your heart enough that God will help you when you don't have sense enough to know what to do. And looking back on it, I had dedicated my life, my life to God, and I really worked at it. I know when I turned 12, I thought, now I'm 12 years old, and I ought to be responsible now for studying the Word of God more than just what my Sunday school teacher is. And I, I, I did. I, I spent that summer learning more about the Word of God, dedicated to it. If I had not been dedicated to the will of God, I am convinced with my smart mouth, that I would have redirected my entire life. But God cares, and God helps. And he, he knows the way we should take. And if we have a heart that's sensitive, he will guide you when you don't have sense enough to guide yourself. My life would have been wrecked. That young man died an alcoholic and a gambler. Can you imagine the difference in where my life would have taken me? But for the mercy of God. But you can trust God to do it. Now there's a funny side to that. I got a call early the next morning and he had to work and didn't get to come anyway. <laughs> But it taught me a lesson, and it also taught me another lesson that I have learned to live by through the years. When you really don't know what to do, trust God. He knows, and he knows things you don't know, and he will guide you if you will listen. I don't know if this is what you want or not, Pastor, but this is... We married in December of 1952. 
And our life has always had a little different twist. I was 18, he was 19. And in January of 53, we accepted the pastorate of a church. Can you believe at 18 and 19? And some of those people still love us. <laughs> Thankfully, they do. But we pastored that church for four years. And then Tom became youth president. Well, he was already youth president of Louisiana. We started youth camps. He was 20 and I was 19. We had kids in our youth camp that were up to 18. We were barely older than the, than the kids that were with us. And from youth camps, we went on. He became international youth president. We started Youth Congress, which is going to have 40,000 kids in it this year. We started that back in 1968, I think it was. And, and, and I'm, I'm telling you those things not just to tell you my life, but you see, God knows what's coming. And he knows what he has made you for. And he had a plan for my husband's life. And he had to get some experience in early. So it put strain on us before we were old enough to be wise enough to do a lot of things. We were pushed into learning things at, under pressure. But he had a purpose in it. Because he went from step to step to step. And God guided his life and gave us a wonderful, rich life. Most of you know that he was elected foreign missions director years ago. He was barely 35 when he was elected foreign missions director. These things come with a price. I haven't told this very many times, but we had nothing to do, and I mean that, nothing to do with him being elected foreign missions director. We were working with my father and his church and intended to stay there. My dad's health was not good. We were helping take care of them and the church was growing. We were happy, had no intention of changing. And suddenly he was elected foreign missions director, misplacing an older man and it was misunderstood. It was a hurtful time. It was a, a, a dreadful time in a lot of ways. I was telling uh, uh, Sister David, I believe it was yesterday. When they announced that election, my husband had to give a little speech. He walked down from that stage, stood on the side. Not one person came to speak to him. I went over to him. My mother and daddy went over to him. We cried a bit, talked a bit. And we walked through that auditorium, through the foyer of that auditorium, down the street, conference people on both sides, through the hotel, into the elevator, and no one said a word. We walked into our room, sat down on a couch, looked at each other and cried. And the first thing he said to me was, it is the will of God. Sometimes the will of God hurts. But looking back, you can see the hand of God. You can trust him when you can't follow him with your eyes and knowing where he's going. You can trust God to work it out. And he has at every point in our life. It seemed like God was always surprising us. We, he was, and I remember this well, and I, I hope I'm not boring you with this. My life is not so exciting. But, yes, it is. 
we were in foreign missions, enjoying it, just loving it. Things were going well. Foreign missions money and giving was way up, and revival was happening around the world. And I looked out on the back porch where our house there in St. Louis, my, my husband was sitting in the swing, and I knew something was going on. I just could feel it. And he comes in and announces to me that he is resigning from foreign missions. What? We've only been here seven years. No, he said, I have to go back and take my church, my home church in DeRitter, Brother Glass has asked me to come. I could not imagine. But God knows a lot of things you don't know. And if we can follow him, we're in good hands. We made our plans. He resigned. We moved to DeRitter. Everything was going big, good, built a new education department, built a new house. His family was there. We talked about it. We're here for the rest of our life. So we thought. Two and a half years later, Brother Weeks, the, general, the district superintendent of Louisiana, dies suddenly. My husband is on the platform behind him when he walks out the last time. He pointed his cane at him. He said, take over, son. He was talking about taking over the service, but Tom said immediately God spoke to him, and he said, I knew what he meant. It was a while before it happened, just a matter of days, but sure enough. So I have learned one thing, is that God knows the way you take. He knows what's coming when you don't have any idea, and if you'll just follow his leadings, you're in good hands, and it's going to, he'll take care of it all, but he's not going to explain it to you before it happens. There's a thing called trust. I did a study on trust. You know what trust is? Trust is disciplined thinking. Because if I believe this word, this Bible, he has promised to take care of everything I ever need. That's a promise. I don't have to worry if I trust. So what when I get worried, it shows that I'm not trusting. And trusting is nothing but believing the word of God, taking it at fat face value. So when you say, I need to trust God or pray for me, I'm trusting God, you better take your hands off of the steering wheel because God is going to direct. You can trust him. God has really reprimanded me with this study that I did because if I really come to a place of total trust, do you know I will never have a worry? Now let that soak in. Because he has promised to take care of you. He's promised to lead you. He's promised to direct your steps. He's promised to supply your need. What, what would you have to worry about if you really trusted, if you really believed the word of God, you would never have to worry. I ain't reached there yet. But I'm on my way. I'm on my way. So, you know, that's kind of where my life was. And then he, we were in, in uh, Louisiana for 27 years as superintendent. Wonderful, wonderful years. And who would have ever believed a boy from a Catholic father and a Baptist mother would have had a life like that. And I got to share in it. But remember this, I could have made the wrong decision in one moment's time. But because God helped me, I made the right decision, put my own smart aleck self under, 
and all of you are the same flesh. We always want to know what, we always want to make the last decision, don't we? But God is true to his word. You know, I just want to close this out. I, I don't know if this is what, what you needed or not, but every one of you are born with a purpose. Everyone, nobody in here is an accident. You were born with a purpose. God gifted you with gifts. His gifts in you are for you to build the kingdom. If your gifts are not dedicated first and foremost to build in the kingdom, then you're misdirecting the gifts God gave you. That's what it's about. But he has a plan for everybody's life. I think of the characters. You know, we go back and read the story of Moses, and it's such a, such a story. starts out with that wonderful wonderful woman named Jochebed. I just, I've often wondered where she was when she decided that she was not going to give up her boy to be killed by Pharaoh. And this, how would she save him? She said, I'll build me a boat and put him in it. Who ever heard of a woman building a boat? A God idea. Strange. But God put it in, and she, she had no idea. She didn't read the end of Moses' story. She just did what she felt like doing. And to build a boat, and to put a baby in a boat built by a woman and put him in the Nile River. I've been to the Nile River. It is full of crocodiles. I mean, full of them. Who, who would have ever, it was a God idea. Some God ideas don't make sense. But if you get that certain little feeling that you know it's a God thing, you better follow it because you don't know the end from the beginning, but he does. And then Moses' life. Who would have ever thought a boy raised in Pharaoh's house would become the henchpin for the whole story of the children of Israel? I mean, it, it, you know, be careful how you judge things. You don't know what God's doing or what God may be planning. Moses raised in Pharaoh's house. Then you know the story. And then the other thing that has always mystified me, he was educated with an Egyptian education. It was a will of God. It was the plan of God. But I'm sure some sanctimonious Jewish person would have made some comments about who does he think he is just because he was educated in Pharaoh's house. Can't you just hear it all? But God knew something that nobody else knew. Moses had to write the first five books of the Bible, and he had to have an education to do it. And we get in a hurry, and if God don't do something in a day or two, we, we think it's all messed up. God knows the end from the beginning. And if he can direct Moses' life with the strange twists and turns that it had, then I am sure I can trust him with my life. And my witness is this. He has been faithful through these years. And I'm counting on him being faithful from now on. And I'm going to leave you with one other little story that has come to mean so much to me. After my husband died, I began studying about heaven. I've spoken on heaven several times. 
but I, I just feel like he, he loved this church and your pastors loved him. And I think that you all need to know something about how he died. It has taken the sting of death completely away from me. He had broken his leg, talking about my husband, he had broken his leg. It was a very, very bad break. And I, the doctor told me, he said, he can't even put his foot on the floor for anything. He's gonna have to be picked up. So we naturally had to put him into a therapy place where they could take care of him. He was there for 10, I think it was 10 or 12 weeks, went through all the therapy, everything. And uh, it, it, I took him to the doctor. The doctor told him, take it off. You, you, can, you can start walking a little bit. The very next day after the doctor told him that, instead of letting them take him in a wheelchair to the car, he walked a long way from his room. And as he was getting in the car, he fell and broke his leg again. The same day or the day after he had it taken off. I told him, he always called me when he woke up in the morning, we made plans for the day. He called me about 7.30. He said, well, I, this was before he knew his leg was broken the second time. He said, I'm going to therapy. They're going to check my leg out and we'll see. He said, you come pick me up around 10, 1030. And uh, we'll do whatever we're going to do today. I got there about 10 and he was back in the room already. And I, I knew it was kind of strange and there was a nurse with him. I took one look at him. I could tell he was sick. I said, what's wrong? She said, I don't know. I said, is the head nurse here? The lady was a spirit-filled woman. She said, yes. I said, well, bring, have her come down here. And Brenda came, and she took one look at him, sat down by him, and I said, Brenda, there's something different. She said, yes, there is. She said he went to therapy, and they told him that he had broken his leg again, that he had to go through all the therapy another 10 to 12 weeks. She said, he said, I'm feeling sick. Take me back to the room. By the time I got there, he was really quite ill. This was about 10.30. About 12, he was still continuing to be sick. The head nurse sat there with me. We put him back in the bed about 12. He died at 2.05. But his death was beautiful. And it has changed my entire thinking about leaving this world. He had barely been breathing. I mean, just barely breathing. We had him in his bed. He was kind of slumped like this. And all of a sudden, he went, took a deep breath. And he said with that breath, I am in the presence of God. Dropped his head, and that was it. for a more beautiful way to make the transition from this life to that. I know he would never lie, but I also know that a dying man would never lie. And it is just that close from this life to that eternal life. One breath and you're in eternity. You can trust God of us don't have exciting lives but wherever you're living the people you're around God has designs for you 
nobody was born without design. God gifted you in certain ways. Your whole life may be to influence a grandchild that will become an evangelist. Your whole life may be to make enough money to build a church somewhere in an overseas place that can bring the gospel. Everybody has a purpose. Give your life to God. And if you do, I can promise you, you have no regrets. I am now almost 90. And I can look back the hard times. And I had some tough times. I had some bitter times, some disappointing times. But none of them eclipse the goodness of God. And when I think of how good He has been, and not only good in this life, but what is life hereafter, one breath from this tired old body, and I'll step onto celestial shores where the rarefied breath and the air of heaven will be filled with the praises of the angels. Can you imagine what it's going to be? You can trust Him for life because He gave His life that you can have life eternal and everlasting. Believe me, living for God is worth it. All of it.